Welcome to Money MD, where the money doctors are in the house. We're giving out prescriptions for better financial health and making smart decisions with your money. We give common sense solutions to your complex problems. And now, here are the doctors. Well, Matthew, it is quite hot out there. We're in the middle of the summer, and man, these last few days have been hot. Yeah, not only just temperature-wise, but um, gracious, the mug, the mugginess um, is incredible. It seems like we're having thunderstorms about every afternoon with all that yeah. heat and moisture in the air. It's uh, it's fun though. It's a fun time, fun time of the year. Um, what you been up to this summer? Yeah, it's a good question. This summer, um, I mean, work obviously throughout the week. I uh, just got back from a beach trip with with the family uh, last week, which was fun. Um, went down to Hilton Head, which was a good nice, good time. Went out to the lake maybe two weeks ago with some youth from from our church. Uh, had a lake day out there, which was good time. It's a lot of kids, a lot of uh, keeping up with uh, middle schoolers and high schoolers. They have a lot of energy. I'm finding out that I don't have anymore. Yeah, um, you, yeah. Seriously. But yeah, just outside time, um, mostly preparing for a wedding. That's another uh, big thing that, uh, yeah, it's a lot of detail that I did not expect going into it. A lot um, of life going on. Yeah, man. What about you guys? About you, sir? Uh, house renovation project, three months in. So a lot of a lot of energy going towards that outside of job and relationships. Um, so yeah, it's been super busy with that. <laughs> yeah, and you're almost done with that, right? Hopefully. <laughs> Seems like there's always something something else that can be done. Yeah, well, we got a really interesting show today. We got a couple of good topics to go through today. The first is, you know, how to retire better. So this is from Retirees Who Learn the Hard Way. So we're going to talk through some lessons because a lot of times you, you have this vision of retirement in your mind and then people get there and it's not quite what you think it is. Um, so it's just going to give some tips on how to prepare for it um, because, yeah, it it's a big change in life. Yeah, and that's from the Wall Street Journal. And our second article is going to be from Forbes. And uh, it's talking about loneliness. And this is something that, you know, I think we we don't talk about enough as a nation, but this is specifically talking about working from home and the loneliness that is that ensues from that in specific. So if you work from home, I would love, you know, we would love for you just to um, be engaged in the second article in specific and even give us your thoughts on, on what you've done to help out with, with that. And if you do struggle with loneliness, obviously uh, reaching out to someone is, is going to be the big takeaway out of this article. But yeah, really good article and yeah. we'll touch on that in just a little bit. It'll be really interesting. Well, by the way, I'm Ryan Borders. I'm a certified financial planner and a Dave Ramsey SmartVestor Pro. I'm one of the financial advisors here at Richard Young Associates. And I'm Matthew Travis. I'm also a certified financial planner and have been here at the firm for uh, a little over five years now. Nice, nice. Yeah. Well, we're excited to have you listening to us today on our weekly show. We are exclusively every week and we're up on Friday afternoons. So you can find our show up on the website through moneymd.net. You can go to iTunes, you know, Spotify, all those listening platforms every Friday and listen to us anywhere in the world. Also, check us out on our website, moneymd.net, where you can link to us. That's where you ask things like questions. If you want to do our weekly question, you could submit it there. Um, so yeah, please check that out. And okay, we're going to start off with the final financial fact of the week. Yeah, and this is interesting, Ryan. Um, I'm going to ask you a question. Okay. Um, how, how many of the top richest people in the world added 
$540 billion to their net worth during uh, 2020, during the COVID-19. How, how many people, how many of the top richest people do you think it took to add $540 billion? Well, you know, I already know the answer. <laughs> I'm looking at it. So uh, I'm going to say 10. And, uh, that's exactly right. Yep. So that's the answer. It's t- the 10 top richest people in the world added half a trillion dollars during COVID-19. Um, the, the wealth of the world's billionaires increased by $3.9 trillion between March 18th and December 31st of 2020, despite the the pandemic that was ensuing. Um, and so we see that, you know, as, as we were talking about before the show, just like these, these ultra wealthy people are becoming wealthier. And um, it's, it's an interesting, interesting phenomenon, even during a pandemic, even during, you know, a COVID um, like we had a couple of years ago. Yeah, that's really interesting facts there. I mean, goodness it's amazing how the rich keep getting richer and uh yeah very interesting financial fact all right let's start with the first topic today um how to retire better Uh, this is some lessons learned from retirees so you know matthew thousands of americans retire every day um, short on cash friendships and plans many retirees say they realize too late how they could have prepared for more financially secure and rewarding post-work life um, but they they would have focused on saving more money to cover higher costs of living, or they would have put uh, you know more time into building relationships, taking better care of their health, or cultivating new pursuits. One reason uh, retirement is so hard to prepare for is we often lack models for post work life to emulate. Uh, you know, retirees and financial advisors you know are saying, hey, this is a big problem, and so. You know, though our culture is awash with images of professional success, we are a little hazier on what retirement success actually looks like and what it takes to achieve that. So, right, we kind of know what it looks like to have corporate success. We kind of see all that. But once we're retired, what does a successful retirement look like? To sharpen that picture, we asked retirees about, or the article asked retirees about what they would do differently if they were given a second chance. And their regrets off, offer insight and in how people how it can help people when they actually hit retirement. So we're going to really look at three lessons on you know how to improve retirement because these are people that you know have regrets. And I don't want to just focus on that. I can be a little negative. You know, we can only focus on what's ahead of us. Um, for those who are retired who might have regrets, what can you do going forward? So we're going to talk about three lessons and just how to have a successful retirement. Yeah, and, and this first one is to invest uh, for retirement. It means more than just money, right? So we're financial planners. Uh, we talk about money a lot, but we see that money, ultimately, we, we, we trade money for what we ultimately value and prioritize. Um, and so this gentleman in this article, Jim Pilsner, he's a retired entrepreneur. He regrets not setting goals for himself when he retired about four years ago. Now he's 78. And he found um, that there is, there's only so much golf to play and only so many lunches to go to, only so many times you can travel down to Hilton Head or, you know, name the beach. There's only so many times before, you know, it's, you ask the question, all right, what, what else? What else? What is the goal of my life? And he said this, I would counsel my younger self and my other, a many active achieving person um, and any other active achieving person to recognize what drives them and what success really means. He eventually figured out that the two things that motivated him most during his career, um, taking action and learning new things, were the same recipe he needed for retirement. So this spring, he enrolled at uh, the University of Nevada 
with two classes, um, and he did very well. And he'll be a full-time uh, student in the fall. He's studying a de- for a degree in political science and history. And so, Ryan, I think what that is is talking about is saying, hey, what is your, and we talk about this word often, but what's your telos in retirement? What is your goal in retirement? It can't just be yourself. And remind everyone what telos is. Telos just means it's the Greek word for your goal or purpose or end. What is the end of something? Yeah. And and our goal in retirement cannot be ourselves because that leads to pointlessness. That leads to... Honestly, it can lead to depression um, yeah. if, if you just focus on yourself. Well, that's a pretty cool idea for them, you know, to go back and, you know, sharpen the mind. I, I thought that was pretty neat. Um, but, you know, retirees frequently don't realize how much their career, you know, provides a sense of identity and self-worth. Many fail to grasp the need to plan for a different source of purpose in retirement. Uh, people carefully plan on how, you know, they will spend money in retirement, but often give far less thought on how to spend their time, because you're going to have a whole lot more of time in retirement than when you're working, obviously. So Jay Holt, 74, regrets regrets not retiring sooner. So he planned to spend his post-work years playing polo, but in 2015, he fell while playing and had had to give up the sport due to injury. Um, The resident in New York, who retired in 2013 at age 64, uh, now wishes he had a few more years in which he enjoyed the activity. So he wasn't able to enjoy that. Obviously, in that situation, polo can be pretty... It's an active sport. Pretty active sport and risk <laughs> not of injury. Pickleball. Yeah, not, not pickleball, yeah. but he, he regrets that. And time, you know, I think a lot of times we, we concentrate on, you know, what are the the three assets of life, right? That, you know, money, time, and health. You know, those are the three things. Um, and obviously, a lot of times we focus too much on the money side, Um and not enough like, hey, well, I only have a limited amount of time right. as well. Yeah, that's and true. So something to think about. The next is relationships are the key to retirement. So this is the part I really want to go to. Um, the best predictor of longevity, health, and happiness in a later life is the quality of your relationships. Mm, wow. um, that is the uh, finding, this is the finding of a Harvard study of adult, of adult development, which has followed families for decades. So... Dan Roberts, he's 72, he lives in California, wishes he had kept up with former colleagues for personal and professional reasons. So he retired about 18 months ago when this article came out. Soon after, his son and family, who were living just two hours away, they moved to New Zealand. Goodness gracious. So a long way away. Uh, so his wife and him kind of, you know, they miss their family. They only see him about twice a year due to just budgeting. And, you know, they say they miss their grandchildren terribly. Hmm. Uh, but a lot of times people don't realize how much of their relationships are at work. And, you know, when you leave your job, you you realize, oh, man, I'm, you know, I miss out on those relationships. Yeah, that's right. And so we just had a client uh, earlier this week, Ryan, and they have saved well. And they um, now are in retirement and they're able to focus on two things. Um, they're able to focus on relationships in the church and relationships in their family. Mm. And they are two of the happiest people that we've met with in a while. And they are able not to focus on returns. They don't get up in arms when the markets are down and they're able to focus on truly what gives them this, this key to retirement that you're talking about. So that's a real life example of, of we see, we see clients who do this well, of who focus on relationships and, and that does lead to that, that happiness and retirement that we, that we desire. Um, yeah. And, and again, going back to the article, you know, they, these people have seen that 
clients sometimes regret delaying retirement for this reason. Um, the extra years working uh, come at the cost of missing time with family and friends uh, and postponing trips. Um, some people even had to close, um, some people had, had people close to them pass away and regret not being able to spend more time with their loved ones. Yeah. Um, and this next, this next reason, um, you know, is, is really important as well. Uh, retirement is longer than you think. Um, this gentleman named Arthur, he's 69. He regrets retiring at 65 uh, rather than working a few more years. And, and this is a little bit on the flip side, partly because he missed out on a few more years of contributions to his retirement account. Um, you know, he, he did, uh, he claimed social security when he retired. Uh, and again, that reduced what he would have gotten if he would have delayed, uh, had he waited two more years or maybe three, uh, he could have been quite comfortable, but, but now he's, uh, living on social security and he's trying not to touch his IRA. And so really the key with this is thinking through that retirement plan, Ryan, ultimately, if we, you know, can help clients have a peace of mind, um, Really, the question that people ask us mostly is, am I on track? Am I able to accomplish what I desire for the rest of my life? And, and that's where a retirement plan can help answer that question very clearly. So you don't retire too early if you're not able to or too late if you don't need to work for monetary reasons. Yeah, you know, Social Security allows people, you know, to start their retirement benefits uh, anytime between age 62 and 70. And the... Uh, and increases the payment for every month of delay, right? So we talk about this all the time with clients. So for many, the math favors starting at 70. When monthly benefits before cost of living adjustments are 76% higher than at age 62, and um, it's according to an economist at Boston University, the life expectancy for a 65-year-old is 84 for men and nearly 87 for women, according to projections by Social uh, Society of Actuaries based on 2019 data. Surveys suggest many Americans vastly underestimate those numbers. Of the 1,500 adults age 45 to 80 polled by the Society of Actuaries in 2015, 41% of pre-retirees and 37% of retirees underestimated their life expectancy by five or more years while 14% pre-retirees and 18% of retirees underestimated it by two or four years. So people are pretty bad at predicting. I don't love this topic because we just don't know. And obviously, you got to be, we got to look at the technical, Matthew. It's important, right? You have to have income in retirement. So you, you know, you can eat, you can live. Some of the social security planning, which we do for clients is important, but at the same time, like we just, we just don't know. And you can't focus too much on that, right? You're never going to do it perfect, right? You're never going to, you know, time it well because we just don't know our time. Um, So I kind of want to just go back to just talking through. uh, The big thing with this is I believe, and and I think you believe at core, life is about relationships. Mm. And to have a high-quality life and uh, retirement, you know, is pursuing relationships. And I would also say not just quantity but actually quality, and I think – in retirement, you have a great opportunity to have quality, even more quality relationships because you have more time, hmm. right? Because our time is very limited. Let's say people working, have kids. It's hard to give a good amount of time to people, and we understand that. But once you're retired, man, there's some opportunities to really just sit and talk and right. go deeper and to really just get to know your neighbor, get to know your friends, your family on a deeper level. Obviously, that takes more effort to ask good questions, 
Um, but yeah, I just really thought, you know, really working on relationships, going into retirement is crucial for a, you know, just a good retirement. Yeah. And I would, I would add to that, Ryan, I think that's an excellent point. And I, I would also say, I think our society, un- unfortunately, is can be very capitalistic in not just business settings, but just in even relationships and can undervalue um, people who are older. And I think that is backwards. And yeah, I, think the reali- I think the reality is, Ryan, um, like you just said, you have more time, but you also have more experience. And so if you're older and you've lived a lot of life, you have invaluable experience that people who are younger, quite frankly, just don't have. Yeah. And so I would, just, I would also encourage you to think through, all right, who can you share some of this experience with? Who can you build these relationships with um, that will last past your life? Because if you pass on what you've learned, um, truly you are leaving a legacy that is that is better than riches. Um, so it's just something to consider. I think it's a great article, Ryan, and it's a good good reminder that, that truly relationships are the point. Yeah. Um, through our lives. That was cool. Um, all right, so the next is the question of the week, Matthew. So we had this one submitted. I'm selling my house for 100000 more than I owe on it. What should I do with the proceeds? And this came from um, a younger gentleman, um, he posed this question and sent us some information as far as his financial situation. And it's a great question. Obviously, this question depends on your situation. But for him, he had uh, about 40000 of debt. Um, he did not have any cash saved, and he wanted to buy a house. And so the answer for us is, all right, let's set aside, he was married, so you know, we roughly let's set aside 20000 for an emergency fund. Let's pay off the debt for, for forty. Uh, which leaves forty thousand left of that hundred thousand of the profit, and so that's a good emergency fund. Um, really, a bunch of different ways you can allocate that, but really the point of that question is to say, hey, we have this excess. What is our next goal? What's our next step? So, was he buying another house though? He was not. He was wanting to. He was interested in buying one. I think they were going to rent for a period. Okay, because that's where you got to also talk about the down payment. For the next house as well. Yep, exactly. Yeah, that could that could be a, a great use of that, right? So if you put that down payment down, it reduces that monthly payment. It redu- it could potentially avoid PMI insurance, private mortgage insurance. So yeah, a lot of advantages for for using that money well. Um, but yeah, great question um, per this listener. Yeah, and then just even if let's say if you're moving, if you're trying to go up in house and you want to sell your house, you know, one thing when you're getting your mortgage loan is when you do your offer. I just recently walked through this with a client is, you know, you would have the purchase of your new house contingent on the sale of your old house. So mm-hmm. you can use those, you know, the equity you have towards the new down payment. It's a great, so yeah, great, good great to know tip. that as well. Uh, we would say, hey, try to have 20% at a minimum just so you do avoid PMI um, and using some of your equity from your old home might be a good way to do that. So a lot of different options, obviously getting rid of as much debt as possible is always what we're going to lean towards for the most part and have an emergency fund uh, just so you are set up for success with your finances. Yeah, good question. All right, let's go to the next topic, Matthew. So this is about, um, you know, hey, are we still home, you know, still alone? You know, the persistence of, you know, the work from home loneliness, uh, which is just still relevant because there are people today since the pandemic that work from home. Yeah. Yeah, and this article focuses in on one or two individuals. And so there's a software engineer who was hired for a remote company with um, <clears throat> with employees all over. Her name's Kristen. And she was excited. And she said, I grew up in small towns, uh, but I wanted to 
get to know people with different backgrounds. And so the flexibility of remote work is fantastic. Uh, the loneliness, though, not so much. Uh, <clears throat> since taking the role, she's had the chance to work with people from across the globe, but she's she often feels isolated and lonely. At the end of her workday, she's still sitting in her bedroom where she watches Netflix at night. She says, I start to think, is this all there is? Why is this? Or, or a better question is, how is this possible to be more connected than ever, but more lonely than ever? Which is an, which is an excellent question, Ryan. Mm, that is, man, that's, that's deep right there. Um, so Kristen isn't the only person who feels both lonely and hyper-connected. According to the recent survey from ServiceNow, in Thought Lab, many remote and hybrid employees are struggling with profound stress and isolation. While the solution might seem obvious, uh, bring everyone back to the office, people don't want to go. So we're having some issues with that as well. Mm -hmm. uh, when employees have the opportunity to work remote, 87% choose to do it. Which that's a lot higher than I thought, what I would assume. Yeah. Even as the former U.S. Surgeon General uh, warns lonely, the loneliness epidemic is sweeping the country. Remote workers relish the new con um, connection they're making in their virtual workspace. So, you know, a recent study found that remote workers actually feel more connected to their teammates than their on-site counterparts. Paradoxically, employees trace their sense of con um, connectedness uh, to the same source as their loneliness. So, you know, the digital tools that are the lifeblood of remote and hybrid work, you know, this is a big problem here. I mean, it is like we're more connected than ever, but yet people are, you know, lonely. Yeah, and I think I think what you just read, what what we just what you just spoke about was interesting because it just shows that people are confused. Yeah, you know, people it, don't understand what's happening, and, and basically, it's just happening to them. And so, I think correct. I think a big part of this article is just becoming aware of of where you are and what's going on. Absolutely. And yeah, I just, I mean, I, you know, I work from home some, I get it. It is weird. Like I'm connected, but I'm also alone and it's just, it's just a weird paradox. Yeah, that's right. And so the ramifications of this epidemic are becoming clear. Research indicates that lonely employees are less motivated and do not perform as well as their happier counterparts. Lonely, unhappy employees are extremely likely to quit their jobs. Uh, worse loneliness can increase the risk of heart disease, dementia, and diabetes as well as mental health challenges um, such as anxiety, depression, um, and even substance abuse. Uh, it can weaken the immune system and even cause premature mortality. So, I mean, the effects, we, we know this to be true about loneliness, but it seems like we're not addressing it as seriously as, as it might need. Yeah, it seems like we're talking about the same thing here, lack of relationship that mm. people are lacking. And it's, it's affecting them. It's affecting their mental health. And it's tough because at, at least the office, there are you have relationships and mm -hmm. you connect with people and it's good for you. I think we're made, we were created to do that. Mm. Um, so here's another associate professor and director of management at Lehigh University says that the loneliness epidemic has spared almost no one, even people with families and significant others and friends feel a certain longing for better workplace interactions. So the problem is that while remote workers are constantly connected, they're lacking high quality connections. Once again, quality over quantity, mm. like we talked about earlier. Um, University of Michigan um, uh, introduced the term to describe interactions defined by mutual positive regard, trust, and 
active engagement. When people are in a high quality um, interaction, they feel more open, complete, and alive. So high quality relationships. Yeah, and and so these high quality connections are crucial in the workplace because they strengthen the relationships between coworkers. Uh, they have a slew of positive organizational outcomes for the business included. Um, she says, you know, conversely, a lack of high quality connections have been linked um, to loneliness um, in the workplace, and it's harder to have high quality interactions digitally. We know this. Um, but you know, for one, in virtual meetings, people can and often do multitask without the other participant's knowledge. Um, you know, the, in, according to this this study, um, conveying presence, active listening, and showing genuine interest are all necessary for creating these high quality connections. But none of these things are possible when everyone is quietly checking their email during a Zoom meeting. And and that is hard. I mean, it is yeah. hard when when you know that other people are not interested in what you're in what you're saying because they're not asking questions, they're not engaged uh, presently with you. And and again, the more digital the interface, you know, phone call to a Zoom meeting to a text to an email. I mean, the less these interactions, these personal quality interactions become. Yeah, I mean, just because you're in front of someone doesn't actually mean you're with someone, right? Yeah, that's and right. That's what we're seeing. Is like, okay, you are. I see your face, but you're not really here, and we're not really actually engaging. So the next is employees seem to intuitively understand what they're missing out on. So high-quality connections have a psychological component, too. At the height of the pandemic, researchers lamented that nurses and doctors couldn't easily convey their empathy and compassion for patients through a dense layer of PPE, which is true, right? You can't show the patient you're sad. You can't show them you care uh, because you're just covered up. Even uh, in places with strong norm, norms around appropriate behavior, small physical indicators of compassion, such as hand, a handshake, a hug, are an integral from combating loneliness, um, says Belkin. In the hospital and in the workplace, people are tightly connected by digital tools that enable widespread and instant communication, but they're kept apart from those same they're, they're kept apart through those same tools, right? So we're connected with them, but yet at the same time, we are disconnected. Employees seem uh, to intuitively understand uh, what they're missing out on. Um, so here's a remote employee who works and watches Netflix in the same room. That's, uh, you know, she says her virtual meetings are helpful and energizing because she's new to the workforce and her field, but they often leave her craving for a deeper relationship with people on those calls. I appreciate all the help, but you're not forming deep, long-lasting connections, she says. Yeah, and and so so Ryan, I mean, as we as we wrap up this article, um, you know, I think there's a couple takeaways, right? Um, if you're an employer and you're listening to this, I think it's to be aware that um, you know, if you have employees that are remote, it can it can weigh heavily on them to be isolated or alone. So I think like actively engaging and thinking through the culture of your firm to ask, are you caring for people well? Do you know what your employees need to thrive uh, in your company? And, and that might look like, it might look like engaging more, asking more questions of your employees. Hey, how are you doing? Have you been struggling with loneliness? What does that look like in our company to not struggle with loneliness? Yeah. I think if you're an employer, there is a weight and a responsibility on you to care for your employees well. And this is a big piece of that. And if you're an employee, 
I think a piece of this article that would be helpful is to understand that, yes, we do need human interactions. We do need these high quality relationships that we've talked about in these two articles and asking, all right, how can you grow in these relationships even at your employment? And if you, if you are virtual, if you are remote, again, how can you prioritize this either during work or after work or before work? How can you have these relationships? Because the reality is you can't not have them and, and be okay. We, we need, like you said, we were created. We need these relationships um, that, that listen to us, that ask us questions, and we do the same for others. It's, it's how we were designed. Yeah, and I guess what you're showing me is, it's surprisingly, money is not necessarily the number one motivator of people and in your jobs. And sometimes employers, I think, just think money is the number one thing that motivates people, but clearly people are longing for more relationships, being cared for, um, mental health, things like that. And so that's just something to think through. Well, money is important. It is a tool. It's not necessarily everyone's number one motivator, and that's not always the best reward for people. And let me just say one more thing, Ryan. You know, I think often, like on that last point that you said, I think people will make decisions for their lives based on money. Yes. And people will move cities. People will change houses. People will uproot their lives for the sole reason of money. And, and I think if you were to ask older people who have experience doing this and who have deep relationships, they would say that that is not the way to happiness. That is not the way that we find joy in this life. And so just to encourage you to consider other aspects to your life other than money. And that's what really we've been talking about a lot today. But it's helpful to think through because our culture does not tell you that. We, we are not given that narrative in culture. We are, we are told that money is is good and it is what we should desire ultimately. So. Great, great article. Yeah, um, it was really good. If you have questions, please reach out to us, Ryan, and I would be happy to, to talk with you about this and just even brainstorm and, and think through what that looks like for you and your family with this. But great article, Ryan. Absolutely. And that leads us to our last thing, which is our prescription of the week. And so the main thing I want to challenge everybody is, hey, have you repriced your insurance lately? If not, make a few calls, get a couple of quotes. Uh, Sarah and I recently did this and saved a lot of money. Um, and we were able to actually get more coverage for a lower price. So it's always good to shop around. You can call the big ones like State Farm and Allstate. Uh, you can also work with a broker, but it's always good just to check, do a little bit of an audit on your insurance because sometimes we just get an autopilot and you might be able to save a couple hundred bucks each month. Wow. So worth the do at least, I would say, every at least every two years or so. Just make sure you're you're getting the best deal. This has been this week's edition of Money MD. So please tune in next week on moneymd.net to hear more prescriptions for your financial health. Check out our website, moneymd.net, and send us your questions or give us a call at Richard Young Associates at 706-739-0725. Thanks for listening and just hope you have a great rest of the week. Material in this program is intended for general information only and should not be taken as specific investment tax or legal advice. Representatives of Richard Young Associates, a registered investment advisor.